I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Lynn Patrick Smith. He lives in Madison, Wisconsin. In addition to be a poet, he is a singer-songwriter. His newest collection of poetry is called These Little Scenes from Fireweed Press, which does a lot of publishing out there in Madison. He's been treasurer and a regional vice president for the Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets. Also, on the board of the Madison Songwriters Guild, and he gets out around the area performing uh, occasionally, he says. So, hey, I'm, I'm really glad to have you here. We have common friends out there. In the mad town, yes. <laughs> yeah, mad I'm city, really glad right? to be here, so thanks for asking. Great. Um, so in terms of uh, the fact that you do write songs and poems, do you do more of one than the other? Or are you pretty balanced in what you end up doing? It, it seems to balance out. It seems when I'm working on songs, I, I get kind of stuck in that one. And then when I get inspired to write some poems, I am doing more poetry. But I think over the years, it's kind of evened out. Uh, it is hard. Sometimes it's hard. They do cross a little bit and something comes, a song turns into a poem and a a poem turns into a song, but usually I know what I'm writing when the words come to me, What if I'm going to use it in a song or in a poem. Yeah, if it's going to get music or not. Yeah, I have, I find, um, I write songs too, and I, I would like to think, but I don't always succeed, that if somebody heard the song, they would get hints that a poet wrote it. Yeah, I try to do that too, I mean, I think, and I do get some mostly positive comments on my lyrics, so yeah. I think that comes across. Well, looking at the poems uh, you sent me to, to browse ahead of time, I, I do believe I detect a conscious uh, interest in sound. Uh, you know, I always consider that a, well, it's not absolute, but sort of a last step or a later step once it's all there. Then I like to go back and say, well, what can I do to kick up the sound? And, you know, I, I, I felt like in some of these lines, I was reading that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I do that, too. I go back. A lot of it comes natural. I mean, not all of it, but then, that, and then from that, read, like I said, go back and read it. And then you hear other ones that you could change and, and get that sound in there. And sometimes I'll just keep a word just because I like the way it sounds. Right. Even if I even if I get critiqued on it sometimes, <laughs> well, most of the time the critique groups are no best. But sometimes I think, oh, that just sounds so good where you know where it is. So. Leave it, yeah, yeah. That's like not worrying about um, the exact truth. Like if it's late at night, who cares if it's eleven o'clock or midnight or four a.m. And midnight might sound cliched because you know midnight. <laughs> yeah. So, just fudge it a little bit. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes putting an odd number in kind of works, like 1203 or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a poetic time. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about reading us a poem? Any old poem you like? Anyone I like. Sure. Well, this is one of my favorite ones from the, these little scenes, and it's a street scene in three parts. One. 
A man standing with his hands on his knees looks like he is watching a bowling ball. It is the same ball that he has been rolling for years, and he doesn't want to show any reaction because people are always watching and his ball is always rolling toward the gutter. Two, a man standing defiantly at the bus stop looks like he is waiting to punch out the bus, like they have an appointment to meet on this street corner at 7.43 a.m. because the bus stole his lunch money back in elementary school and he's been waiting all these years to get even. Three, a man standing in front of the food mart looks like he is watching a movie. It is a foreign film and takes place in a country he has always wanted to visit. He's seen this movie many times, but he keeps watching because he has forgotten how it ends. Hmm. Somehow I get, I get an Edward Hopper tone out of these. <laughs> yeah, that one, I, I, I used to ride the bus to work and I went down Willie Street in Madison, which is a pretty well-known east side. Um, used to be kind of a hippie street or whatever, but there's a lot of interesting characters on, on that street. I would see people and give them a story. And I did that a lot in that book, I think. Do you, do you get a lot of uh, daily life poems, would you say? That kind of thing, like just noticing something? Yeah, I, a lot of them are little snapshots and little scenes. Yeah, so that's why I came up with the, that um, title for that book. And that was a poem with that title as well. Yeah, I do, do a lot of things visual, I think, I see walking around and as well as, you know, little conversations I overhear and something trips my ear and I start from that. Yeah. Usually don't sit down and think I'm, I'm going to write about this or that, but something, you know, triggers. Yeah, so, okay, something actually happens in the world. And yeah, or just that I see or and I give it a story or... Gotcha. Uh, what poets do you like, by the way? That's always <laughs> interesting to me. <laughs> well, early on, I liked Richard Brodigan, and I did. Well, I'm back to writing really short poems now, um, you know, five, six, four, six liners and, and that. And I really liked his kind of twisted. And so the same with Billy Collins. I like Billy Collins a lot. Um, of the older classic ones, I always liked T.S. Eliot. Stephen Dunn, I like a lot. Mm. And I know so many good poets in Wisconsin. I'd, I'd hate to start naming the ones <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. I I bet there's right. been a number of them that I've been you know, fortunate enough to be friends with over the years. Yeah. It's interesting. People forget about Brodigan, I think. Uh, but, you know, his when he's good, he's really good. Yeah. He, that, gets, he gets those wild images, you know. Yeah, the... Hill versus the Springfield Mine Disaster, that poetry book is just one of my favorites still. Yeah. A couple after that weren't weren't up to that level, but some of his other work like Trout Fishing in America, I mm -hmm. still enjoy. So Yeah. Yeah. People people should remember go back to him. An interesting yes. character. No, it was a time when everybody read him. I mean I I, mean, yeah. I sometimes wonder if there's somebody like that today. I mean Everybody read Brodigan, and then for a while, everybody knew Bukowski. 
Yes, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, it was in the bookstores and the campuses. And people on a campus, the students would would know him or know something about his work. Yeah, and Brodigan for a while was coming back around. I know in the '90s he had a little revival, and uh, you know some of the college kids were going back to him. But I don't know if they are now. No, I never hear anybody mention him or think about him that I know of. He wouldn't be a bad one to revisit, though. Yeah. I got them right upstairs. I just might go do that this afternoon. <laughs> I just have to walk out in the hall and grab a couple books. There you go. Yeah, right, right, right. And Billy Collins, he's interesting too, because I, I think he's way better than a lot of people like to think, because he's popular, so he gets criticized. You know, for being yeah. really. I mean, there's accessible and there's accessible. And <laughs> but he has just that. Uh, little twisted look on everything that uh, it really works, I think. So yeah. he sees the world in kind of fresh eyes sometimes. Yeah, and, yeah, that one poem about, I forget, it's sheep that fall down or some crazy, it's just a really <laughs> weird thing, and it's true. And he, you know, he finds these things out, and then he, you're halfway there with the poem because the content is just so damn interesting. Yeah, it gets into it right away. Yeah. I like the one about the three blind mice. How did they become blind? You know, was it oh. at, at birth or, a, you know, some kind of chemical accident or what? But it's just different ways he looks at those things. Well, how about another poem? Okay. I was going to see if I had one. Well, I'll read one of, since we were talking about Richard Brodigan, I'll read one of the new shorter ones. Sure. This is Overture. While the spotlight seems impatiently aimless and the audience is frantically finding their seats and the actors coming to terms with the footlights, the stagehand on the catwalk holds back a sneeze. <laughs> so just a short glimpse of something going on. Of something happening, yeah. yeah. I was thinking about that because I, I sometimes write poems like that. I think, what is that about? I mean, what? It's, it's just something that happens in the world and you can notice it and be a little more, I guess, mindful as you go through your day. Yeah, and I, I like the way it sounded and it just kind of came together that way with the sounds. Yeah. So. Read it again. I think that would be good. Overture. While the spotlight seems impatiently aimless and the audience is frantically finding their seats and the actors coming to terms with the footlights, the stagehand on the catwalk holds back a sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> and the rhythm. I, lo I love when short poems, just the rhythm is just perfect. You know? And uh, some, sometimes discursive poems, which are more the thing today, don't always grab me. Um, and I think being, you know, a musician or kind of helps with the rhythm, even when the, it doesn't rhyme, there's some, you work with the sounds and the syllables and yeah. you get the nice rhythm. It has to have a rhythm, I think. Yeah, what do you, what, what, yeah, tell me some of your thoughts about music and poetry. You think you could, uh, do you ever do, you ever do a, a poem that just has, like a poem that just has music behind it? It's not a song, but the music's there for whatever ambiance enhancement or whatever you want to call it. I can't think of any right offhand. Mm. 
I have put played some guitar behind other people's poems at readings or something, just yeah. doing some finger picking in that. So there are some like that. Um, I can't think of any right offhand. I used to be part of a, a radio show here, Mind's Eye um, Radio was a collective, and we did little like plays, radio plays and poems and songs. You know, different people would contribute yeah. different things, and we'd record it ahead of time. And sometimes I would run some music behind a poem that I read. But it's been so long, I can't even think of one of them right now. Yeah. But. I think it's so it's really interesting when it works. I love it. Like like some people it, when they play with jazz, it really works. You know. Yeah. Well our mutual friend Richard Rowe used to do that all the time. He would, you know, write, you know, jazz and tango poems and he'd have the music and he was right on cue when he would read those things with his boom box, you know, just about I mean he had it timed down pretty well. Yeah. No, that's that's one real kind of performance poetry, as far as I'm concerned. You know. It is. It, People usually appreciate it. It does add something to the live reading, too, I think. Yeah. yeah. I remember reading somewhere that Carl Sandburg got into doing the folk songs just because he figured it made his whole reading performance thing better. So he would just, you know, do a poem or two and then do a song because the music, um, more people could relate to it, or a lot of people could really relate to it. And I find that believable. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. And a lot of times you memorize the songs, and I used to do that with my poetry, and I think I read them better when I did memorize them when I was younger. And it's a, but I was kind of used to doing it from performing songs, because I, yeah. I always do that memorized. Yeah, I always figure we poets take the easy way out, because look, if every country singer in the world can memorize their whole repertoire, certainly <laughs> we can memorize our poems, right? Yeah. But anyway... Well, let's do some more poetry. Well, this is one, even though we're not ending, I'll do this, because mm -hmm. I do this a lot for the last poem mm -hmm. I read when I do a reading. It's called, it's not that poem. Okay, it's, this is the poem you've been waiting to hear. Unless you were thinking it would rhyme and say nice things about my mother, my wife, or my childhood, which I did capture beautifully metered in my pleasant suburban childhood poem that I left at home because the last time I took it out in public, it ran off and got drunk with that gang of miserable urban childhood poems and said things about me I cannot repeat in the poem you were hoping I would read. So instead, I offer you this. Just imagine me reciting whatever poem it is you've been waiting to hear. <laughs> That's it. That's got a little yeah. Billy Collins attitude, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I was inspired a little by reading him. And... Yeah, yeah. Now, now, what about this? This one might be one that you put to music. Uh, about a small town, this town or small? Yeah, it, it started out, it was the Hard Scrabbled Singer. Um, and I wrote it for Ellis Paul, who was one of my favorite uh, hmm. contemporary folk singers from the Boston area. In the song, I turned it into in this song um, instead of using in his, I mean, in this town, and then use that for the hook. But this is the hard scrabble singer for Ellis Paul. In his songs, the landscape is populated with dilapidated homes 
and the marriages that last are as sad as the marriages that don't. The waitress working the late shift never meets the man who comes in for breakfast, the man who would have loved her accent and accepted her children, never has children of his own. No one leaves even though as teenagers that's all they talked about. They sit beneath the cracked Pepsi sign at Ron's diner and can't remember how one day crept into another until they reached this point. Their jobs handed down like a sentence and slowly sensing that this is what they were going to avoid. The wind blows like a startled ghost, but don't be distracted by rattled windows or howling door frames, for in his songs, it's not just the wind that sounds like ghosts. Yeah, there's a nice mysteriousness to it there, especially at the end. And that's why I was thinking between this and the other one. Now, you're, they're kind of not quite depressing, but <laughs> there's a downside of you that comes through. <laughs> On oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. The other one I wrote is a little more positive. It's reflective, but it's a little more positive. Mm -hmm. And it's an older poem that I put music to. It's from a previous fireweed book, The Lunar Cradle. Okay. It's called Confiding in Someone. If moonlight appears to be leaking through the cracks around your back door, do not seal them. This is where you will come when the house is silent and you need to talk. Turn off all lights. You will not want them listening in. They burn with envy and repeat what they hear. Blow out the candle in the corner, the one that snickers slyly. It is waiting to betray you. Sit as quietly as you can, without concealing anything, recall your most innocent moment. Now you are ready. The moonlight knows when it is needed. It settles in the kitchen, ready to listen and be trusted. Now you must do the same. Mm. I like that one. I like that a lot. That's really an appealing idea. Yeah. I think that's why I put it to music. I've always liked that poem a lot, and I, it was a chance to do it some more. And I would just was doing a chord progression and with kind of a melody, and it just hit me. Wow, that just that's that same rhythm as that as that poem. And I really didn't change much except for adding confiding in someone and a couple rhymes to go with that as the tagline. Yeah. So you don't worry about your your uh, songs rhyming. No. It doesn't matter. Usually when I'm writing a song, I do, but then I'm able to put it, uh, you know, I can I can see it in a poem I've already written. Yeah. So I try not to use hard rhymes even in songs and, and try to do more internal rhymes and the sound. So I don't, don't really worry about it too much, but it seems to come more natural when you're doing music and then you write words to it. Um, yeah. It's a... Seems to come out rhyming more than yeah. poems. Yeah, I've been thinking about this the last couple of days because uh, when my son was has been here visiting a little bit and uh, brought along some CDs and he has some Warren Zevon that I hadn't heard in quite a while, <laughs> and I was just thinking listening to his album is like going to a good poetry reading. 
because yes. it's such incredible images and ideas, and it's just not like normal music. He but, is one of my favorites too. Yeah, I mean, I go from John Prine to Warren Zevon back at in that same time, and they're you know very different, except for they, yeah, like you said, they both have such great images. Yeah, and that first album of Warren Zevon's really captured the L.A. scene of the '70s. I think it had that feel, and I, you know, I lived out there at that time and. A lot of what he was singing about, you know, I saw around me. Yeah, the guy was just brilliant. What a loss. Yeah. Oh. Well, if you have a, a final poem you'd like to do, even though you already did your final poem, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do one more short one. This is called uh, Med School. As the gurney passes, the rattle of casters sounds like casual laughter as the cadaver wheels his way to his next class. <laughs> and that song is, there's so much sound in there. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, well, man, folks, we got a little treat here. After we, we finish this, then we're going to just play you a couple of uh, compositions of words and music by our today's guest, Lynn Patrick Smith. So we've been spending time with, as I just said, Lynn Patrick Smith from Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Charlie Rossiter. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you.
In this town the streets are populated With dilapidated homes And the marriages at last Are as sad as All the marriages that don't The waitress Works a night shift, never meets the man who comes in for breakfast. The man who would love to accent and accepted her children as if they were his own in this town. In this town No one leaves even Though as teenagers That is all they talked about Beneath the cracked Pepsi Sign at Ron's Diner They're still sitting there now As one day crept into another Until they reached this point Jobs handed down like a sentence This is what they were going to avoid in this town In this town In this town the wind blows like a startled ghost Like a startled ghost through this town Through this town Don't be distracted by Rattled windows Or by howling door frames in this town it's not just the wind That sounds like a ghost In this town we're all ghosts 
You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.